0: Well, we are on an exciting adventure as we are making our way through the book of Acts. And we're learning more about the growth and the movement of the early church. A little later in the service, we're going to take bread and we're going to take the cup. And in learning from the book of Acts, we are going to take these tangible objects And remember Christ who died for us. But also in the tradition of Acts, in these moments as we're gathered together, we want to devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching. And we have already heard the scripture reading this morning from Acts chapter 5. If you do have your Bibles, I invite you to open them up to Acts chapter 5. Or if you have received the bulletin this morning, there are sermon notes in there. And just something of an outline, if that helps you and what kind of learner you are, if it helps to look at the notes or turn through the pages of Scripture or just to listen quietly. Our goal is to hear from Jesus in these moments. Uh, In many ways, I feel like uh, this message is a continuation of Pastor Richard's message last week. But today I want to ask the uh, the question, how do the disciples live in the book of Acts? How do they live? And the four descriptive aspects are outlined in your sermon notes, even as we have reflected on the scripture reading that we've heard this morning. Four ways of how the disciples live. The first thing that we see is this, they live life in the name of Jesus. I want you to notice just again how important that little phrase is. In the name of Jesus, in verse 28, they are given strict orders. Do not teach in his name. And it's almost as if those who are opponents to Christ are even hesitant to say the name, but they just said, don't speak in his name. And again in verse 40, they are ordered not to speak in the name of Jesus. And after the disciples were flogged, we read, In verse 41, how the disciples rejoice because they are worthy of suffering for Jesus' name. In the scriptures, we gather in Jesus' name. We read that people are healed in Jesus' name. They have faith in the name of Jesus. They find salvation in the name of Jesus. And in this story, they are ready to suffer for the name of Jesus. You to think about that as we we think of an Old Testament story, an Old Testament story from the book of Genesis, where people are starting to build a tower. And if you know the Old Testament, you know that story of the Tower of Babel, where the builders come and they say in chapter eleven, "Come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens, so that we may make." A name for ourselves. A name for ourselves. The name of Jesus. Which one is it? Tim Keller has some insight as he reflects on this. To make a name in the language of the Bible is to construct an identity for ourselves. We either get our name or our defining essence, our security, our worth, our uniqueness, from what God has done in and for us, or we make a name through what we can do for ourselves. So when the Apostle Paul says, whatever you do, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, we are saying that we are building our identity on Jesus' love for us. One brick at a time, one stone at a time, I'm constructing my identity somewhere, building it, either on Jesus or on some other foundation, something else. But for those of us who have claimed to follow Jesus, then we build our identity on him, the one who is strong and yet humble, the one who is our maker And the one who says, I am your friend. The one who is our source, and the one who is our goal. And when someone asks you, Who do you think you are anyway? you can say, I am the one who Jesus loves. I am living my life in his name. So that first thought, I think, grounds us in terms of thinking of the life of a disciple. I live life in Jesus' name. The second thing we see in this passage is that they're living their lives in obedience to God. Notice that little word, obey. It's found twice in the scripture reading, and it's found at the beginning at the end of Peter's short speech, beginning in verse 29 And ending in verse 32, just a short sermon that he gives there, Peter boldly states in verse 29, we must obey God rather than human beings. What do you think about that word obey? You like it? Some of us, I, I don't know. Do we see obedience as God controlling us and punishing us? You had better obey me or else... Well, or maybe God is making life difficult for me, but I have to endure this. Or do we see obedience as the means to love, freedom, and peace? I obey so that I might find a pathway to joy. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments, obey me. Think of the story in the Old Testament. When God was ready to bring the people of Israel into the promised land, he called them to obedience and he said, step out into the water first. And they had to do that act of obedience by stepping out first into the water before God actually parted the waters. So I don't know today where God is calling you to obedience, but I know that he is. In some way, for all of us, God is calling us to another step of obedience today. That is clear. Are you worried today? Have you been worried this past week? Have you been feeling stressed? Then obey the one who says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me step of obedience are you are you distracted about the need to make more money or are you frustrated at your work then obey the one who says seek first the kingdom of God and then all these other things will fall into place or are you fighting temptation or addiction Or are you just weary of life? Then obey the one who says, come to me and I will give you rest. Whether you are a follower of Jesus or not, you can make one step closer just by saying, I'm going to take one step of obedience there today. They lived lives with obedience. We must obey God rather than human beings. But how do the disciples live? There's one other descriptive factor that I find very fascinating in this text. They live their lives facing persecution with joy. What? What does that mean? Facing persecution with joy. Now, I'm not sure if you've faced persecution before, or persecution for being a Christian. I remember a few people over the years who have laughed at me for being a follower of Jesus. Some other people have come along and told me, your belief system is not reasonable. Why are you holding on to this? And they might try to reason their way through and to be kind, but to reason their way through to say, this isn't good. Or one other time, I remember when I was asked to officiate a funeral. This was a number of years back. And as the family met together the day before the funeral, one family member came up to me and said You can talk about what you want to say, but just don't say the word of Jesus when you talk tomorrow. And I think those are good words in the book of Acts where Jesus says or where, where Peter says we must obey God rather than human beings. But unlike the disciples and so many others of us, most of us have not lived through overt persecution for being a Christian like we've just read in the scripture reading. Here in Acts chapter 5, they were warned not to speak about the name of Jesus. Earlier in chapter 5, they were imprisoned, and later they were flogged. They were beaten. And why? simply because they trusted in Jesus. And what did they do as a response after they were flogged, after they were beaten, after they were put in prison? Yeah, hallelujah. It was, they rejoiced. Now, this to me is kind of a strange part of the story. I find it hard to identify with all of this. I I find it hard to understand it all. Where it's also in the Sermon on the Mount, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. So if you are persecuted for doing something wrong, or doing something silly, or doing something nonsensical, well, then you're just getting what you deserve. But if you're persecuted simply for believing in the name of Jesus, then Jesus says, rejoice. And then he adds, your reward is great in heaven. Now, one Christian teacher has said, suffering is the badge of true discipleship. Now, that's bold obedience that we read about in Acts chapter 5. Now, I know Art and Antonia Wormald, they're here today, and they are very passionate about praying for the persecuted church. Uh, We know that. And they write up and they send out prayer letters asking people to pray regularly for the persecuted church. And if you want to talk with them, they're just seated at the back and they're just waving. If you want to get your prayer letters from them, you can do that. But at this point in the service, I'd like to invite Miriam to come up and to tell us about the persecution that she has faced uh, for being a follower of Jesus. Thank you so much. when Miriam and I talked about this whole idea of persecution and joy, the one thing that she was pointing out to me is that the thing that gives her joy is knowing that she is not isolated and to know that she is connected with Christian community, to know that there are others that have been praying for her when she has been in difficult times and, uh, that the community gathers together. That's actually the thing that gives her joy and, uh, you, like the disciples, are invited also to live in that community. That's another mark of being a disciple. That's the fourth one that we're just going to look at this morning. Um, the disciples really were committed to community. and I want you to look at verse 42, where it says, Day after day, in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. Now, for someone who is the pastor of discipleship and small groups, I want to tell you that verse 42 is one of my favorite verses. It's a verse that I would ask you to highlight and to look at because it gives us a picture of how we live out our Christian life. And it's and it's described in two ways in the temple courts and, and I I think I would describe that as in the big and larger public places. So in a gathering like this, we gather together and proclaim that Jesus is Lord. But also, there's two locations in verse 42. It's in the temple courts, but it's also from house to house. And uh, that's why um, we encourage small groups, is that we know that in order for us to live out our Christian life, we need to be connected in intimacy with community, in a life that is shared together. You know that. You know that God doesn't just call you to come to church, and then to leave church without knowing anyone or without interacting with anyone. And if that's sometimes how we think that it is, just to kind of scoot in quickly and then escape quickly without interacting and building up our community with each other, then that's not really what the church is. It, it, it's far bigger than that, and it's community with one another. Here at MCBC, we are convinced that believing and belonging go hand in hand. And, uh,. We see relationships as our primary need in life with God and then with a few other people that are going to encourage you in that Godward direction. And you're invited into that. You can't know a few hundred people well, but you can know a small group well. And you can start to share your concerns with one another and pray with one another. And so we remember that Christian community doesn't just happen. It requires time. Did you notice that little phrase is that day after day they met with each other? It's that effort of just being in touch with each other, whether you're texting with each other or phoning or, or messaging one another or being physically in the presence of one another, that we're going to encourage each other day by day in this pursuit of following Christ together. So the marks of these disciples Here as we look in Acts chapter 5, some interesting marks. The life of the disciple, they live life in the name of Jesus. They live their lives in obedience to God. They live their lives facing persecution with joy, and they live their lives with a commitment to community. Will you pray with me? Oh, Lord, our God, we thank you for these moments that we can gather together as the church. And we thank you that each Sunday as we meet here, we meet with the intent of opening your word and considering the apostles' teachings. And now on this Sunday, we gather also around the table. And we pray that you would speak to us in these moments, that you would continue to Warm our hearts through the power of your Holy Spirit. We thank you for these moments. In Jesus' name, amen.